Hello, and welcome to Mixed DNA Podcast, the podcast with two mixed race hosts talking about any and everything. Each week, we pick a topic, do some research, throw in our own thoughts and opinions and experiences where applicable, and put everything together here to share with all of you. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Melissa. Today's episode, episode number 74, is Mixed DNA and Alexandre Dumas. That's Alexander Dumas for those that do not speak French. If you're not familiar with who that is, he was a prolific writer of nonfiction, a French novelist and playwright whose works have been translated into many languages, making him one of the most widely French authors of all time. He was also of mixed race, which wasn't widely spoken about during his time. Dumas was born July 24, 1802 in Villers-Cotel, France, and died December 5, 1870 in Saint-Martin, France. His most notable works, the most well-known, were The Count of Monte Cristo and The Three Musketeers. And since the early 20th century, his novels have been adapted into nearly 200 films, some of which, the novels and the films, we'll discuss during today's episode. Dumas's father, General Thomas Alexandre Dumas Davy de la Palatiere, was born in the French colony of Saint-Domingue, which today we know as Haiti, to a French nobleman and Marie Cissette Dumas, an African slave. He was of mixed race, having a white French father and an Afro-Caribbean mother who was enslaved. His mother and her children were purchased by his father for what was referred to as an exorbitant amount, and Marie Cissette became Thomas Alexandre's concubine. At the age of 14, he was taken by his father to France, where he was educated in a military academy and entered the military for what would become an illustrious career. However, his father refused to allow him to use his name in the lowest rank of the army. Thus, he dropped Thomas from his given name and took his mother's surname, entering Louis XVI's service as Alexandre Dumas. Before departing for France, Marie Cissette and their three daughters met a baron who had come from Nantes. Thomas Alexandre was never questioned about his mixed-race son, and he was accepted as his father's heir. He was promoted to general in the army at the age of 31, the first soldier of Afro-Antilles origin to reach the rank in the French army. Due to his father's prestigious position in the military, young Alexandre was able to acquire work with Louis-Philippe, Duke of Orleans, as a writer, a career that led to early success. He began writing articles for magazines and plays for the theater. His first play, Henry III and His Court, was produced in 1829 when he was just 27 years old, and it was met with acclaim. The following year, his second play, Christine, was equally popular. These two successes earned him sufficient income that he was able to write full-time. After writing more successful plays, Dumas switched to writing novels. Newspapers at the time were also publishing many serial novels, and his first serial novel was La Comtesse de Salisbury, Edard III, and he even rewrote one of his plays into a successful serial novel, La Capitaine Paul. In 1838, Dumas also founded a production studio that was staffed with writers who turned out hundreds of stories that were all subject to his personal direction, editing, and editions. From 1839 to 1841, Dumas, with the assistance of several friends, compiled Celebrated Crimes, an eight-volume collection of essays on famous criminals and crime from European history. In 1840, Dumas collaborated with his fencing master, Augustine Grisier, on the novel 
The Fencing Master, which is written as Grazier's account of how he witnessed the events of the Decemberist revolt in Russia. The novel was eventually banned in Russia by Tsar Nicholas I, and Dumas was prohibited from visiting the country until after the Tsar's death. Dumas refers to Grisier with great respect in The Count of Monte Cristo, The Cossacan Brothers, and his memoirs. Dumas's novels were so popular that they were soon translated to English and other languages. His writing earned him a great deal of money, but he was frequently insolvent as he spent lavishly on women and sumptuous living. It is estimated that at any given point he had a total of 40 mistresses. In 1846, he built a country house outside of Paris at La Porte Marly. The large chateau named Chateau de Monte Cristo had an additional building for his writing studio. The home was often filled with strangers and acquaintances who stayed their lengthy visits and took advantage of his generosity. Two years later, faced with financial difficulty, he sold the entire property. Today, the property is operated as a public museum memorializing Dumas. It had fallen into disrepair by the 1960s, but in 1994 was restored with the patronage of King Hassan II of Morocco, who financed the restoration of its Moorish rooms. Over the course of his lifetime, Dumas wrote a wide variety of genres and published a total of 100,000 pages in his lifetime. He also used many of his lifetime experiences, writing travel books about his journeys that were both for pleasure and for work. He had made journeys to Spain, Italy, Germany, England, and French Algeria. After his friends Louis-Philippe was ousted as king in a revolt and Louis-Napoleon Bonaparte was elected president, Dumas fled in 1851 to Brussels, as Bonaparte disapproved of the author. From Brussels, Belgium, he moved to Russia around 1859 to escape creditors. In Russia, French was the second language of the elite, and his writings were very popular there. Many of his travel writings were about various regions in Russia. Dumas's time in Italy was spent committed to liberal Republican principles as he was a member with the Freemasonry. He lived there for three years and founded and led a newspaper called Indipente. When Dumas finally returned to his home in Paris in 1864, he published various travel books about Italy. Dumas married actress Ida Ferrier. The two did not have any children together. Dumas did have children, though, four that historians know about, from the likes of his approximate 40 mistresses. Dumas and dressmaker Marie Laurier Kathleen Labay shared a son, Alexandre Dumas, who was also known as Alexandre Dumas Fille, which, to those that don't speak French, means son, while the Alexandre Dumas we're discussing was called Alexandre Dumas Père, which means Alexandre Dumas Father. Dumas was also father to daughter Marie-Alexandrine Dumas, whose mother was an actress, Henry, whose mother was a married German woman of Jewish faith, and his youngest daughter, Michaela Celie Josepha Elizabeth whose mother was also an actress. Only his eldest two children carried the Dumas family name. Dumas died December 5, 1870, at the age of 68, due to natural causes. His death, however, was overshadowed by the Franco-Prussian War. In 1970, upon the centenary of his death, the Paris Metro named a station in his honor. Various researchers have continued to find Dumas's work in archives, including in 2002, the five-act play The Gold Thieves, which was published in 2004. 
In 2002, for the bicentenary of Dumas's birth, French President Jacques Chirac held a ceremony honoring the author by having his ashes interred at the mausoleum of the Pantheon of Paris, where many French luminaries were buried. The villagers of Dumas's hometown, of the Viers Cotterets, where he was buried, were initially opposed, but eventually bowed to the government's decision and Dumas's body was exhumed from the town cemetery and put into a coffin to be transferred. The proceedings were televised, and the new coffin was draped in a blue velvet cloth and carried on a cassion flanked by four mounted Republican guards costumed as musketeers. While his remains are transported through Paris to the Pantheon, President Chirac said, With you, we are D'Artagnan, Monte Cristo, or Balsamo, riding along the roads of France, touring battlefields, visiting palaces and castles. With you, we dream. Dumas's most well-known quotes was in response to a man who insulted him about his partial African ancestry. He said, My father was a mulatto, my grandfather a negro, and my great-grandfather a monkey. You see, sir, my family starts where yours ends. Despite Dumas's fancy background and personal successes, he had to deal with discrimination due to his mixed-race ancestry. In 1843, he wrote a short novel, Georges, that addressed some of the issues of race and the effects of colonialism. Georges was about the son of a biracial plantation owner on the island of Mauritius who faces discrimination due to his ancestry, despite appearing to be white. When he finds out his brother is sailing a slave ship, he leads a slave revolt. The revolt fails, and he is condemned to death, but is saved at the last minute by his friends. Other than this novel, Dumas rarely ever wrote or spoke about race, but did not suffer racism lightly. Even though his works weren't particularly about race, as a mixed-race historical figure, we wanted to share details about Dumas's most famous works, The Three Musketeers, The Count of Monte Cristo, and The Man in the Iron Mask, which many of us are familiar with via the variation from Hollywood, which I love, <laughs> of course. The Three Musketeers is a historical adventure novel written in 1844. It is of the swashbuckler genre, which is heroic, chivalrous swordsmen who fight for justice. The story takes place in France, Italy, and islands in the Mediterranean during the historical events of 1815 to 1839, the year of the Bourbon Restoration through the reign of Louis-Philippe of France. The story begins on the day that Napoleon left his first island of exile on Elba, beginning the Hundred Days period when Napoleon returned to power. The historical setting is a fundamental element of the book, an adventure story centrally concerned with the themes of hope, justice, vengeance, mercy, and forgiveness. It centers on a man who was wrongfully imprisoned, escapes from jail, acquires a fortune, and sets about exacting revenge on those responsible for his imprisonment. In a bit more detail, 19-year-old Frenchman Edmond Dantes is falsely accused of treason, arrested and imprisoned without trial in the Chateau d'If, a grim island fortress off the coast of Marseille. A fellow prisoner, Abbe Faria, helps him deduce that his rival, Mondeo, a jealous crewmate, d'Anglers, and a double-dealing magistrate, de Villefort, turned him in. Faria inspires his escape and guides him to a fortune and treasure. He becomes the powerful and mysterious Count of Monte Cristo, who arrives from the Orient to enter into the fashionable world of Paris to avenge himself on the men who conspired to destroy him. 
The Chateau d'If, where Dante spent 14 years, is an actual, real fortress located on the Ile d'If, the smallest island in the Ferrule archipelago off the shore of Marseille in southeastern France. The fortress was built in the 16th century and served as a prison until the end of the 19th century. The fortress was demilitarized and opened to the public in 1890. The island and the fortress became famous after Dumas used it as a setting for the Count of Monte Cristo. While Dante was able to successfully escape the fortress in the novel, no one in actuality was able to do so. Today, there is an intact dungeon that remains in honor of Dante's that serves as a tourist attraction. The Count of Monte Cristo was originally published in the Journal des Debats in 18 parts. Surrealization ran from August 1844 to January 1846. The first edition in the book form was published in Paris in 18 volumes, with the first two issued in 1844, and the remaining 16 in 1845. The first appearance of the story in English was the first part of the serialization of W. Francis Ainsworth in 1845, although it was abridged and was entitled The Prisoner of Eve. The most common English translation is an anonymous one originally published in 1846 by Chapman and Hall, which was released in 10 weekly installments from March 1846 with six pages of letterpress and two illustrations by M. Valentine. The effect of the serial novel is unlike anything we would be familiar with today. Carlos Javier Villafane Marcado described the effect. He said, which held vast audiences enthralled, it is unlike any experience of reading we are likely to have known ourselves. Maybe something like that of a particularly gripping television series. Day after day at breakfast, or at work, or on the street, people talked of little else. While it was entertainment for the masses, for Dumas, the story was a revenge fantasy he wrote on behalf of his father, who we already mentioned was a black general who fought in the French Revolution, and was ultimately betrayed by Napoleon. Vox reports that Dante's story of betrayal has a startling resemblance to the real-life story of what happened to Dumas' father, only his father never got revenge on Napoleon and company, who were jealous that he was more handsome and charismatic than they were. When his father was taken prisoner in Naples, rather than negotiate for the release of a valuable member of their military, Napoleon left him there to rot. He was eventually released in 1801 after vigorous petitioning from his wife and the pair soon had a son, Alexandre, but he never recovered from his years behind bars. He was partially paralyzed, blind in one eye, and temporarily deaf. He died in 1806 of stomach cancer when Alexandre was not yet four years old. His back wages and pension were never paid out, and the family was left impoverished. Centuries later, when the Nazis occupied France, they destroyed the one remaining statue of him in Paris because it depicted a man of mixed-race heritage. Dumas's father's story is bleak and lacks any sort of satisfying payoff. But Dumas, who was raised by his mother and her memories of a heroic and betrayed man, wrote The Count of Monte Cristo for his father into a character who was rewarded the way his father should have been. There have been several films based on The Count of Monte Cristo, none of which I have seen. I'm sorry. But maybe some of you have, like Vanessa, and are more familiar with the story than I am. To be honest, it sounds like a good story, so I should probably find at least one rendition and maybe watch it. It's a great story. It's a great story. Watch the one with Guy Pierce. In most recent versions, 
because there was a TV miniseries in 1998 and there was a motion picture in 2002. The TV miniseries starred Gérard Depardieu as Edmond Dantes, and it was a four-part miniseries based on the 1844 novel. And the 2002 film was an adaptation of the novel and starred Jim Caviezel, Guy Pearce, Richard Harris, and James Frain. The general plot of the novel was maintained by certain elements, including relationships between major characters, and the endings were modified, simplified, added, or removed. Approximately 80% of the movie was filmed on the island of Malta, where the capital of Valletta stood in for Marseille. Part of the Grand Harbour of Valletta was chosen for its strong resemblance to the port of Marseille in the early 19th century. It's really good. I feel like Zorro, um, the movie with Ant- Antonio Banderas, took this story but adapted it differently. I have seen Zorro, surprisingly, since I don't watch any movies, but I don't see your similarities. I'm sorry. But I could be wrong. I mean, you've seen both, so you could be right. But as I Google right now, it says... Zorro made his debut in the 1919 novel of The Curse of Capistrano, which was supposed to be a standalone story, but then it was made into a 1920 film adaptation. So possibly Zorro's story is always taken from there, but 1920 is after the Dumas novel, so, I mean, it could have been inspired by that. Only because the revenge part. The revenge part was there, except, I guess... Anthony Hopkins is like the guy that was in uh, the Count of Monte Cristo's cell. Antonio Banderas helped him get back at the guy who ruined his life and took his daughter and killed his wife. Another of Dumas's most well-known works is The Three Musketeers, which I also love. The story is set between 1625 and 1628 and recounts the adventures of a young man named D'Artagnan after he leaves home to travel to Paris, hoping to join the Musketeers of the Guard. Although he is not able to join the elite corps immediately, he is befriended by three of the most formidable musketeers of the age, Athos, Porthos, and Aramis, known as the Three Musketeers, and becomes involved in affairs of the state and at court. Although the story is primarily a historical and adventure novel, it portrays various injustices, abuses, and absurdities of the ancient regime giving the novel a political significance at the time of its publication. The story was first serialized from March to July 1844, four years before the French Revolution of 1848. D'Artagnan's story continues further in Dumas's later novels, 20 years after, and The Vicomte de Brigalonne, 10 years later, which many of us know as The Man in the Iron Mask, which I also love. By 1846, the novel had been translated into three English versions. One of them was by William Borome and is still in print to this day. To conform to 19th century English standards, all of the explicit and many of the implicit references to sexuality were removed, adversely affecting the readability of several of the scenes, such as the scenes between D'Artagnan and Milady. There have been various film adaptations of the story, with the most popular being the 1993 Disney adaptation starring Charlie Sheen, Kiefer Sutherland, Oliver Platt, and Chris O'Donnell. This version, in true Disney fashion, simplifies and alters the story. Chris O'Donnell played the role of D'Artagnan, but Brendan Fraser was offered the role after both Brad Pitt and Stephen Dorff turned down the role. There was also another film released in 2011, 
which starred Logan Learman, Mila Jovovich, Luke Evans, Mads Mikkelsen, Orlando Bloom, and Christoph Waltz. Critics praised the action sequences and scores of this version, but the visual style, writing, and directing were heavily criticized negatively. Which version did you like? Uh, neither of those. Those are terrible. I like the, the TV version. In various versions of The Three Musketeers, whether on TV or the big screen, there was a lot of rapport about casting choices for the role of Musketeer Porthos, specifically when a person of color was chosen for the role. However, historians and literary fans have come to realize that the character of Porthos was based upon Isaac de Porthos, who most likely served as captain of the Musketeers. He was part of the Black Musketeers. But... Black here is not in reference to the race of the musketeers, but the color of their guard. There were also gray musketeers, cardinal musketeers, and so on. The casting of a POC to play the role is more often than not a homage to Dumas himself as a mixed-race, partial black individual. It's out of respect more than anything. Just as we can see references and tidbits of his father's life in The Count of Monte Cristo, Literary critics point out many similarities in The Three Musketeers as well. Stroll's Paris says, This war story may sound familiar to readers of Alexandre Dumas, as it clearly inspired his many novels of patriotic sons who valiantly keep faith with slighted fathers who were victims of gross injustice and chase vengeance and vindication. At the start of The Three Musketeers, D'Artagnan's father tells his son, Never submit quietly to the slightest indignity, for... It is by his courage alone that a gentleman makes his way nowadays. Have no fear of many imbroglios and look about for adventures. He and his creator did exactly that. Stroll's Paris goes on to say that Athos, Porthos, Aramis, and D'Artagnan, who only formally joins them at the end of the Three Musketeers, are gentlemen at arms in the strife-ridden France and England of the early 17th century. They dedicate their swords to an ideal of their homeland more than the scheming statesmen and wayward monarchs who really govern it. This self-fashioned patriotism immune to the misdeeds of the powerful feels very close in spirit to the career of the author's father. The third of Dumas's works that we wanted to highlight is the Vincomte de Braglion, which, as we mentioned moments ago, was the third story of D'Artagnan and is better known by its English name, The Man in the Iron Mask. This story first appeared in serial form between 1847 and 1850, and the 268 chapters of this large story are usually divided into three, but sometimes even four or six volumes. The principal heroes of the novel are the Musketeers, and the narrative is set between 1660 and 1673, against the background of the transformation of Louis XIV from child monarch to sun king. There have been various film adaptations of The Man in the Iron Mask over time, as there has always been much intrigue into the mysterious French prisoner under the reign of Louis XIV. The most well-known version is the 1998 film starring Leo in the dual role as both the title character and the villain. He's so great. The film also stars Jeremy Irons, John Malkovich, Gerard Depardieu, and Gerbureau Byrne as D'Artagnan. The film centers on the aging four musketeers, Arthos, Porthos, Aramis, and D'Artagnan during the reign of King Louis and explores the mystery of the man in the Iron Mask. While the film received mixed reviews, it was a financial success, grossing $183 million worldwide against a much smaller budget of $35 million. It's because of Leo. 
One of Dumas's most well-known quotes outside of his novels was infatuated, half through conceit, half through love of my art. I achieved the impossible working as no one else ever works. And he definitely did. He was very talented and a bit ahead of his time. Just recap in case you missed some of the facts we shared about Dumas during today's episode. Number one, Dumas was the victim of racist attacks. Number two, his half-black Haitian-born father was a prominent French general for Napoleon. Number three, the three musketeers were based on three real musketeers. Number four, like many of his characters, Dumas was a talented fencer who started training at the age of 10. And number five, many of his works when translated were sanitized to conform to Victorian morality standards. So they were probably a lot more racy than the versions of his stories that we know today. One last fact I wanted to share is that one of the most popular quotes associated with the Three Musketeers, one for all and all for one, was not ever written by Dumas. It's actually Switzerland's national motto that originated in 1291 to symbolize the union of Switzerland's three cantons, their states. If you're like us and didn't know much about Alexandre Dumas and his works, we suggest taking a read or a listen or even watch a movie or two to familiarize yourself with these classic tales, which is something we as well want to and think we should do. And that was the wonderful and tragic life of Alexandre Dumas. Thanks for tuning in today, and we hope you did find today's episode interesting and informative. And if you did, please remember to like, follow, or subscribe to Mixed DNA Podcast wherever you are listening from right now. And if you're listening to us via Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave a positive review, or at least one that's constructive, and leave us five stars. We would really appreciate it, as likes, follows, and reviews help to ensure we're reaching as wide an audience as possible. Also remember to follow us on social media, Facebook or Instagram at Mixed DNA Podcast, where each week we post relevant information about the content we focused on for each week's episode. Also, check us out online at MixedDNA.ca, where you can find all of our past episodes, links to research that helps with each episode, our Mixed Monday features, info about Vanessa and myself, and our online storefront, where you can purchase Mixed DNA merchandise with various mixed race forward designs on t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, and so much more. Thanks again for tuning in, and you'll hear from us again next week. Bye. Au revoir.